0: Welcome to Machine Learning. Dollar crisis, part two. Ran out of time yesterday. Deflation occurs when supply exceeds demand. So what happens is money starts getting tighter. Manufacturing, realizing that they still owe money, begin to uh, increase volume. So it's like the car dealers, are manufacturers where they have parking lots filled with cars running at maximum production and trying to move the product but not having the demand to consume the supply so as supply continues to increase due to efficiency and increased volume in order to gain that small margin of profit, Over supply occurs. World War I then began in 1917 when the U.S. entered the war. U.S. gold reserves rose 64% as Europe exchanged gold for U.S. goods. Once the war ended, gold continued to flow into the U.S. as allies repaid their war debt. The credit base doubled during this period of time. Industrial machinery and equipment output rose 205%, and all producer durables increased by 257%. The surge in industrial capacity created an oversupply by 1926, and as a result, the wholesale price declined. In 1921, the Fed sold large amounts of government debt and caused credit to contract by 8%, um through the economy into a brief recession okay so what the fed sold large amounts of government debt so they sold off their u.s uh treasuries is the way i interpret that and when the fed is selling treasuries it's going to cause bond prices to drop and yields to increase and as money becomes tighter well, and the banks have less money than to, because they use that those bonds as collateral, so they have less money to, to loan, and that causes uh, money contraction. So that led to a brief recession. When the dollar earnings of the surplus nations are deposited into their domestic banking systems, those dollars become exogenous to those banking systems acting as high-powered money and spark an explosion of credit creation. Okay. Now, that's that's interesting because we have credit creation in different forms. We have money. We have credit. Uh, and they call that M1, M2, and I believe M3. And what we're, he's talking about here is that deposits were made into from surplus nations into domestic banking systems and that caused a, a surge in, in dollars that could be loaned loaned out. Um, excessive credit creation prevents over investment. So there was this investing, they take the money, they invest it into uh the banks become an investment house rather than just a Money uh, warehouse, and that and that's the the problem. So that excess causes excess capacity and deflation. So long as U.S. currency account deficits continue to flood the world with dollars, global deflationary pressures are likely to continue to build as reckless credit creation results in more industrial capacity that can absorb at the prevalent price level. So it, we saw that. In the Great Depression, there was an oversupply of wheat, and the over there was speculation. There was credit creation. Uh, they started breaking up the prairie sod, and they started uh, realizing that they had to to pay back these loans. They broke up more prairie sod, planted it into wheat, and they were getting large amounts of wheat uh, production, but the supply was far exceeding the demand, and so that when that that uh, when there's too much credit creation there there gets to be too much supply falling product prices made it impossible for business to repay their their bank loans. That's the danger of heavy debt is can you pay back your loan? A similar process occurs when excess credit creation causes asset price bubbles in the stock market and property market. Rapid loan growth causes asset prices to rise. And we've seen that with the real real estate market. Um, Rapid price rising, low interest rates, high availability of credit. Even I got this huge amount of credit approved, more than even my income, I felt more than my income could justify. Frequent banks, frequently, banks accept the inflated assets as collateral for additional loans. This process continued for so long in Japan that the Imperial Gardens in Tokyo came to be considered as valuable as California. Eventually, it becomes impossible to pay the interest expense on such extraordinarily overvalued assets the owner defaults the banks then refuse to make new loans the house of cards in asset prices begin to shake panic sets in and the bubble pops and the banks fail now in one of the podcasts that I said I gave I said that the um, banks always are like the casino house they always get their money so if the bank fails, they get bailed out. The lender of last resort is the government. And where did they get their money from? The taxpayer. Do they ever pay back those loans? I don't know. I mean, you saw TARP, where m- money was loaned out to the banks. They refinanced they, uh, the mortgage-backed securities. And then they they sold them off at a, at a market value, and they bought them back on the cheap. Um, and so they just rebalanced their books, but they didn't change any of their risk portfolio, and there was no oversight to ensure that. So I'm not sure what the government was trying to do with that act, but it was a strange act. Uh, During 1999 and 2000, the final two years of the new paradigm bubble, imports to the United States jumped by $307 billion, an increase, of thirty three percent over the level of nineteen ninety eight yeah we started seeing that early in two thousand that China uh began to make their move for heavy industrialization, and then we see the trade deficit growing rapidly till from two thousand to around two thousand fifteen or sixteen. And then we see Trump coming in, and we see some pullback on that deficit. But now we see the trade deficits increasing. Then in 2001, U.S. imports fell by 79 billion or by 6%. The impact of the decline in U.S. demand on the rest of the world was extraordinary. That year, the economic growth rates of all the United States' major trade partners decelerated abruptly. Stock markets experienced a spiral down effect. Commodity prices fell. The government finances came under strain all around the world. The same consequences can be expected during the second phase of the recession, when the U.S. consumer is finally forced to stop spending more than they they earn. At that time, the imports to the United States will decline, and all these countries that rely on exporting to the U.S. will suffer. Yeah, if you lose the largest economy in the world, which is the United States, all the countries will suffer, and that includes China. There's no way that China's economy without the United States can be sustained. China will be one of the hardest hit since its leading supplier of cheap consumer goods to the U.S. would stop. When China's exports to U.S. decline, it will not have cash to act as an engine of growth for the rest of Asia. Asia will not harbor false hopes of China replacing the United States as an importer of last resort. So basically what it's saying is Asia's economies will uh, dry up also. Instead, Asia's policymakers should recognize the era of export-led growth will end once the U.S. current account deficits can no longer be financed, and they should act now to develop sufficient domestic demand, meaning that they should uh, be self-reliant, somewhat self-contained, and begin to create their own ecosystem or economy. Because the future is not um, known. But the trends are bad because of the high trade deficits that exist, and those are not sustainable.